HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. America. From border to border, coast to coast, and all the ships at sea. Streaming live from the County of Kings, Brooklyn, New York City, on the Heritage Radio Network. Are you ready for the fastest half hour on the internet today? It's the Mike and Judy Show. Spanning the globe for high-minded hijinks and low-brow kicks to bring you the best in sex, drugs, rock and roll, and nuclear fission. They're too bad for radio and too good-looking for television. And now, here they are, the Nichols and May of the now generation, your hosts, Mike Edison and Judy McGuire. Well, all right. This is Mike Edison here at the Mike and Judy Show, streaming live on the Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick. And once again, I am surrounded by astonishingly brilliant and beautiful women, but none uh, more so than my co-host with the most, Judy Aww. McGuire, the woman who is too hot for television. <laughs> Definitely. It's the big sexy, Judy. I know. It's very sexy, very big. <laughs> this is the show that's going to make us famous, I'm sure of it. If Apocalypse Now didn't do it. This is it. Sex, 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 sex. Someone told me that sex sells. Um, um, yeah, well, these two <laughs> ladies know all about selling the sex. All right, well, let's get right to it. Let's introduce our, our guests. Okay, first we have Rachel Kramer-Bussell. Rachel, and Rachel is a uh, senior editor at Penthouse uh, Variations and Penthouse Magazines. Um, she is an unbelievably prolific author and editor of Erotica um, and organizer of great uh, readings and events. Let's see. 39 anthologies, including... 39. 39. It's not as sexy as 69, but... <laughs> well, something to look forward to, something to work towards. Uh, I guess the most recent one here is Obsessed Erotic Romance for Women, but also Best Bondage Erotica of 2011 and 2012, Spanked, Bottoms Up, Orgasmic, Fast Girls, Gotta Have It, Do Not Disturb, etc., etc. It's unbelievable. Glad to see you here, Rachel. Kramer, Thank you. Russell, her old pal. And also, um, our new friend, uh, Sheila McClear, is the author of Last of the Live Nude Girls. 
Hi. I just finished this book. It's amazing. It's really good. Actually, why don't you tell us a little about your book? Last of all, were you really a live nude girl? Yeah. Um, I was one that... Well, I am. No, I was. There, <laughs> there are still two peep shows left in Times Square, but I was working in the last... They're the last ones there, and I was working in them in 2006 through 2008 when I moved here. As two years, show. that's practically a career. You know, I tell most people it's 18 months, but if, I, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest about it, it was about two years. Well, if there's anybody you can be honest with, it's Mike and Judy. I feel that this is a safe space. To talk <laughs> <about>. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was actually really relieved, because when I first heard about the book, I was like, oh no, it's another writer who did something for a few months just to write about it. Like, oh, I'm going to say yes to every guy who asks me out. But then I read the book, and it's like, Okay, no, she needed the money. Especially when I went to Bellevue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you end up in Bellevue, you're that was not... such a scam. That was such a good moment in the book. No, that was it was it was a really amazing book. And I didn't even know there were peep shows left in time. Nobody Square. knows, not even the people that come in. I used to, you know, I used to cover the peep shows for Screw Magazine, um, and I remember the last lot, open window peep. Boy, that was scary. They used to have a metal sheet that came down, you put it near your quarter, and Ooh. the window went up. And if you had your hand in there, no. Let me tell it. you, I have learned. Um, I stayed away from the peep shows for. I don't know how long when I was writing the book after I was done. I stayed away, but I went back a couple of weeks ago with a couple with reporters, dude reporters, and I sent them in to the first place I used to work um, on Eighth Avenue, and they are doing. They brought the open windows back. Oh, that's oh, scary! Man. Really? For real? Really? I can't believe awful. it. That's yeah. scary stuff. So, so where, where did you work? Which peep show was it? Which uh, the first place was Gotham City Four, which is where they brought back the open windows, um, seven eighty one Eighth Avenue at Forty Seventh. Um, second one was a playpen at Forty Third and Eighth, which is mm-hmm. now a Shake Shack. I wrote about the last days of it in the book, and then um, <laughs> it closed in two thousand seven. I like the quality of the meat better at the playpen. Exactly, and then there's there's <laughs> Gotham City One, which they have now moved this playpen signage onto, which is um, just a block south. And just like as importantly, which are the forty second, which are the peep shows that are still open. <laughs> so those two. That's good. Let's yeah. field trip, Judy. So uh, Rachel, um, you write about sex all the time. You work for Penthouse. You're, I guess, one of the most prolific editors I know of erotica. Have you actually ever been a sex worker? I have not. Um, but I was going to say, I think it's interesting that like the Shake Shack, like. Like that, they're still exi- they, they still exist now, but in the same location. But that's all Disneyfied. Well, what what happened to um, uh, the uh, Play World Palace, um, Show World Palace, Show World Palace on Forty Second and Eighth, which is now is doing like off off Broadway theater to legitimize. Yeah, I, went to, I went to some arty event there a couple of years ago. Yeah, Bassiano, Richard Bassiano, the uh, sort of mob connected owner. He still owns allegedly. That. Well, yeah, right. He he owns that parcel. He still lives like on the fifth floor. He's about eighty something years old, and I think around ninety nine two thousand after the sixty forty laws and everything mm-hmm. were enforced, he started renting it out to uh, theater groups as entertainment. Mm-hmm. But there is like the neutered remains of a porn store on uh, ground level, which they have the video booths and some porn. So Show World's there just in a very neutered. much smaller form. So so uh, Rachel, what I, I wanted to ask uh, you. Um, What's the difference between erotica and pornography? Um, that's a good question. That no matter how many times they get asked, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Um, I think it's an interesting question because people do ask it, and you know, to some degree, I think it's sort of a moot point because if you're into erotica, that's great. If you're into porn, that's great. If you're into both, um, you know, I think some of it is in the eye of the beholder, but. I do think that there's a more direct, like I think both of them, the point is to arouse people, but in porn, I think it's more direct. Like there's no also something else going on. That's just the point. And then in erotica, I think there's also, you know, a story going on and there can be like 
you know, sort of a poetic nature to it. I don't really think there's... Well, old school pornography used to have stories. That's like, true. Like, like nurses, and the story was they wanted to fuck everybody. But that's <laughs> no, but they were also like, like big, there were big budget. I mean, there was, they right. were more like movies than just than like the video sex scenes. So, so I, I don't guess, know. So where is that line? I don't know. Oh, I'm guessing a lot of your readers are women, people who read your books. I think mostly, um, but definitely men as well. And, you know, I've, I've read your books, I've looked at your stuff, and I've been to your events, which are always awesome. And, honestly, I don't really know where the line is either. I think it's pornographic. Um, that's, that's, not, that's, think, not, that's not in the pejorative. That's not, oh no, that's not I don't, a condemnation. And I don't, think, I don't think anyone, if you're writing erotica, should take offense at someone calling your work pornographic, because that's the point of it. I, yeah, mean, I, I mean, you can also do other things with it. But I think if it's not arousing on some level, then, you know, why it's not necessarily erotica. Judy, you've written some pornography. I have. I wrote some for you, Mike Edison. That was when awesome. When you were working at Climax Magazine with the Wipe Clean Centerfold. That was with a day. Are you serious? <laughs> it had a triple-coated centerfold, so you could wipe it off oh when you're done. And they were always like, it, was, it wasn't like a penthouse pet either. It was kind of like, they weren't such great-looking girls. Um, but yeah, you can Climax on a budget. And what do you recall what you wrote? I wrote an advice column from a man and a woman's point of view. My sound is really weird today. Um, uh, so you also wrote the guy's point of view? Yeah, I, I was a couple. I, I did that. And oh, and I, my my uh, big uh, that this is why I can never write erotica because it always turns out stupid. I wrote a book. I wrote a story about a guy who lost his virginity at the mall at the jeans hut. Was, I like it. it was, I like it was it. so not hot. And yeah. there was measuring of inseams. It was really stupid. The measuring of inseams, that's wow. awesome. I've, I've written 28 pornographic novels. Not one word of erotica, I promise you. And I never measured anyone's inseam, but I like that now I'm Now I'm intrigued by the inseam. You know, before or earlier, um, we were at the bar um, getting a little juiced for today's show, and you guys were talking about dating virgins. Oh. <laughs> um, Want to share some experiences, ladies? I know our listeners want to hear them. I, I, you know what? I don't think I've dated a virgin since I was a virgin. I've dated closet cases, which is a whole different thing because they're really hostile. But a virgin, <laughs> Whoa. yeah, it, like this guy told me, he's like, I just find female genitalia repulsive. Wait, and he was dating you? Nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, may, you know, maybe you should be going out with a guy, but he was super Catholic. And this is um your friend, Mike. Um, wow. My friend? I have <laughs> always a Catholic. <laughs> Seriously, my friends. I don't, some of my friends are repulsed by female genitalia. Yeah, I, know, I mean, some of my straight know. friends. I, I mean, but yeah, I bet there are straight guys straight. who are also like misogynistic. He's, but that's different. He, than no, what you're he saying. De- he was so homophobic, which is always the tell. But Rachel, didn't you date uh, someone who was kind of virginal? Um, you say kind of virginal, like never the, been fucked. Can I plead the fifth on this? Okay. Well, <laughs> I can. I can say that I wrote about. Um, I was a virgin until I was 21. And once my 22nd birthday got a little closer, I just had to do it. But, like, the problem was, like, even when I was 19, 20, I was trying to lose my virginity. And guys won't do it because they think you're going to get all attached yeah, to them and, and, like, take it seriously. And, you know, <laughs> take it seriously. God I didn't mean to lose it as late as I did. I mean, I was all, like, the Baptist church did a really good job with me. But, like, wow. I didn't mean to, like, make it take till I was 21. It's just that like, guys won't do it if you're, like, honest about That's it. That's interesting. I wouldn't think that would be the case. I well, I did go to U of M and I hung out with a lot of like politically correct dudes, so oh. that might have been part of it. They wanted to be like sensitive or whatever. Ugh. I like the part where the author of Last of the Live Nude Girl says the Baptist Church did a really good job with her. 
and chill. Um, so when you wrote this book, um, Sheila, what is the reaction of family, former members of the church, co-workers, and potential employers? Because I think this is something um, that we all... All of us write about sex all the time and yeah. drugs. Um, Judy and I both written a lot about drugs as well as sex. And this is definitely uh, scorched earth policy. I like to think of it yeah, as. A lot of I mean, this is it. It is. Well, I can. What you see is what you get. You're not going to find anything on Facebook that's more condemning than we've written ourselves. I do like the scorched earth policy. Um, I can say that the first uh, question in the job interview at the newspaper I work at now was, "So you were a sex worker?" I said, "Well, stripper. You know, whatever." And she asked me, you know, this is the first question of a, you know, place that I'd been freelancing for. And um, actually, I got hired, but she asked me if I made a lot of money. I said, yeah, I made a lot of money. And she said, that's surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Wow. And my family's not happy with me, but we deal with it. I think the best way to deal with it is by not talking about it. That would be the Baptist way. But, you know, my dad, I've been avoiding, I've been dodging (laughs) calls from my dad because, like, I'm scared of him right now. Like, he's like, you know, your dad's scarier than your mom. My mom's read part of it, and she's kind of cool with it but not really but i'm just scared of my dad still today i just tell my family don't read anything i write i I told them not to read policy because it it will you can't read that read something and then not you know unread it in your head they won't let me date my uncle read it in my book well, and I, he thinks I'm a big slut and he told my whole family what a whore I was so you know, I, I mean at I least you get to know sale, people's Sheila. real opinions but it's like <laughs> but it's like I feel like if you don't think you can handle it don't read it and my dad can't handle well, knowing somebody well, took a shit in my bed I don't think any dad could handle that <laughs> I can't handle it yeah, I think it's it. a little worse uh, with, with women and their dads when you're talking yeah. about sex now yeah. my dad read my book which um, has some sex in it but it's largely about Drugs. My enthusiasm for cocaine and LSD and professional wrestling, which seems to piss him off or did when he was still alive, more than anything. In fact, I think that may have actually sent him to his grave was his, his highly educated son's love of professional wrestling, which he thought was much more offensive than my job working for the drug magazine or my job working for the porn magazine. Oh, I saw CM Punk on TV last night. He's the most controversial man in professional wrestling. A lot smaller than I thought he would be. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I thought he'd be like a big, huge, you know. You know what? You know what? Maybe he lacks in, in brawn. He makes up with his colossal super brain. I, I have no idea who that is. It's some wrestler that he keeps talking yeah. about. And I had no idea who he, he was talking about. The most exciting about man and... in professional wrestling today. Yeah. Okay. But you know, but the thing is, my mother never read my book. My book, I have fun everywhere I go, which you know obviously does talk a lot about drugs. Um, and she just says to me, "Michael, will this book upset me?" Yes. What's it about? Well, it's about me doing questionable things in questionable places with questionable people. <laughs> and, you know, the, and the idea, well, that I even wrote a book, that it exists, that it's in the marketplace, that you can go to a store and buy it, is, you know, kind of out of, out of her reach, you know, because people, people she knows don't write books. You know, they're not media. It's sort of this weird thing. She saw a copy of it sit at, um, at my brother's house. It was sitting on the kitchen counter, and she looked at it and just kind of like a monkey finding a bright red rubber ball in his cage. What is this? You know, and sort of inspecting it and looking at it from all sorts of different angles. But and, not opening it? Well, my brother tried to wrest it from her hands, and she opened it to one page, and I think this was the page where I was writing Feliz Cumpleaños and cocaine on a giant mirror, uh. right? <laughs> um, and apparently she pretty much dropped to the floor, clutching her chest. Um, she called me up, said, Are you still on that shit, Michael? I had talked to her like maybe 10 minutes before she had called me and said, oh, I'm at your brother's house. Everything was fine. 10 minutes later, I was the pari- I was a pariah. You know, nothing's changed, Mom. Rachel, how well, do your parents feel? I mean, because um, you've got, even got like naughty photos out there. I My mom is super pretty much against like everything I do. We kind of don't talk about <laughs> it. Do. 
whether it's you know first person writing or erotica like i i don't even know if she knows she knows i've edited books but i don't know if she knows like how many because the thing is if your book's called best bondage erotica or spanked <laughs> you know it's you not you can't really you know it's not really like unclear what it's about so and i understand that to a degree i'm not saying i think she should read it but you know we have a lot of issues and my dad and my grandfather's a writer he wrote a memoir like i think they're like are you happy doing what you do are you successful you know is that fulfilling to you? Okay. Like, they don't need to police it. That's very enlightening. Which was a better year for Bondage Erotica, 2011 or 2012? <laughs> well, 2012 was coming out in December, and I love, there's two stories about women who tie themselves up, like, they're so into bondage and they don't have a partner, <laughs> and this one woman, like, goes to this whole elaborate thing where there's, there's like, ice, and there's a key melted in the ice. I'm like, you what? have to be really into bondage. I like that. Like, I- I don't know. To me, like, if I'm doing bondage, like, the point is that someone is doing yeah. it to me, not that I'm doing all the work. And <laughs> well, I, But I was, I'm fascinated by that. I, I like that. I, li- I like that twist. I think my problem with the people who say they write erotica and run away from the word pornography is it tends to be very precious. You the know, writing, you mean? The writing tends to be precious. Yeah, and the people writing it, and they feel like, wow. I mean, I've, you know, we've been to a lot of these, these readings, and it runs the gamut of completely pretentious stories about flowery stories about my orgasm um, <laughs> to, like, some really nitty-gritty good writing, you know, about sex. And honestly, the sex writing, the best stuff is not the insert tab A and tab B part of it. It's not the blow-by-blow. Blow. It's really the setup. It's the anticipation. I agree with that. And I think the different one, not necessarily the difference, but in some of the erotic I've written or edited, I mean, there is a lot going on. And there's the tension. I mean, whether it's because you're into someone that you can't have or you're doing something you're not supposed to do or whatever. I mean, it's not it really isn't just a sex scene. And I think that's sometimes people send me stories where what they've written is interesting, but there isn't you don't know why the people are there. You just know what they're doing. And that's not that hot to me. All right, I'll tell you what, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we've got a special treat. Uh, Sheila's going to read from her book with some musical accompaniment, no less. By who? Hmm. Hmm. Who could it be? And uh, more questions for Rachel. Boy, do I have some questions for Rachel. This is the Mike and Judy Show. Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that make me. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. That she never had 
Streaming live on the Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's Pizzeria. This is the Big Sexy. <laughs> Here with me, my co-host Judy McGuire, Rachel Kramer Bustle, esteemed editor of Erotica and Pornography. Both she does both, and, and cupcakes, and brought us cupcakes. You, you are, and has a cupcakes blog and is going on a cupcakes cruise. A cupcakes Hi. cruise. I'm sure there'll be something to write about. <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, uh, Sheila McClear, author of Last Alive, New Girls. Now, I think, um, a little interlude, I believe Sheila's going to read to us from her book. And uh, and Mike Edison will accompany her on guitar. It'll be like a beatnik happening. It is a happening. It's always a beat happening here at the Mike and Judy Show. Everyone control your excitement. <laughs> All night, men came in off the street and told me things. They're usually alone. They dropped their pants and masturbated behind glass windows. They shamelessly bargained and asked us if we did sex. $200, they repeated over and over in foreign accents, unblinking, until I laughed or sighed or tried not to scream. A bored southern salesman chewed a toothpick while watching me. A sloppily dressed school teacher from Westchester passed a note through the slot reading, Wear the flowered schoolgirl panties. I'll go wild. They stooped and genuflected to put money through the slot sawed into the red-painted booth. We told the men the show was five minutes long, but the curtain went down after three and a half. Sometimes one of them might enter his side of the booth and cry. I was not equipped to handle all this heaviness, so it was better to think of myself as a channel, letting people and their stories flow through me, releasing them back out into the world. My survival in the peep show was based on hustling, convincing the neon overdose tourists and curious college boys and ghetto kids from the Bronx and Mexican laborers and guilt-ridden street preachers, plus the natives, the sundry damaged goods of Times Square, to pay $35 to watch me take my clothes off with a bare minimum of enthusiasm behind glass. My fellow live girls were most, mostly Spanish or black or from the Bronx or the projects. But one girl named Violet came from a similar background. She was white like me, a plain-looking girl with a constant, amused twinkle in her eye. She was around my age and from the Midwest. Like me, she had a college degree. Hers was in social work. I just wish I were using it somehow, she said one day, sitting in the dressing room. Oh, you are, I said, thinking of the nightly parade of dysfunctional men. She looked at me askance. So, are you like an artist or a student or something, she asked. I shrugged. I wasn't sure either. I was alone in the city and the peep show provided a place to hide. No one there knew quite what to make of me. Did I just move here? Couldn't I have found something better? Was I sort of a loser? 
Violet was addicted to the peep show. She made at least $400 a shift and worked five nights a week. I couldn't figure out why she made so much money. She wore her hair long and mousy brown, with glasses, no makeup, and a plain cotton bra and panty set. She spent her shifts leaning against the door of her booth, one white platformed heel cross over the other, flipping through upscale shelter magazines, figuring out what to buy next. But Violet was articulate and she spoke for everyone in recognizing the dissociative unreality that we all experience several nights a week in Times Square. So last night I was in a show, right? She said. I was like down on my down on the floor on my knees or whatever, you know, pretending to suck this guy's dick through the glass. I'm looking up at it. I'm looking this guy's dick right in the eye. And it's looking back at me and suddenly I thought to myself, how the hell did I end up here? Walking into the Gotham City video for the first time in the summer of 2006, I was assaulted by the smell. Sharp, pungent, sickly sweet. A cocktail of pine salt, Windex, and bleach, plus a surface cleaner sprayed liberally around the store as air freshener. The overall effect of the porn shop on 8th Avenue dulled the senses and was profoundly unsexy. Nothing is as numbing as rack after rack of pornographic videos. Their covers showcasing clinical, fully splayed genitalia of every variety. She-male, barely legal, animal. The mirrored walls were covered with dildos, vibrators, fake fur-lined handcuffs, and little outfits, a cheap-themed kind that came in clear plastic bags. Overhead fluorescent lights were as bright as a Guantanamo's prisoner cell at night, and the stairs were in rainbow colors, each one labeled with the words live, sexy, fantasy girls. A banner at the top advertised live S-E-X-I girls. The carnival environment would lose its effect over time. After a few months, I wouldn't even notice the flashing lights in the dildos. When I first wandered into the peep show, it was 6 o'clock, which meant that men were filing home from work, getting distracted by the neon, and slipping furtively inside. It was prime time in live girl land. All right. Great job. Awesome. So when you guys are writing about personal experiences, I know, you know, obviously Sheila did and Rachel, I mean, if you read anything of Rachel's, you know, she reveals a lot. Um, how much, when do you, where do you draw the line? I mean, how do you, how do you, how do know? I know what's okay to, <laughs> yeah, what's okay to share and what is too yeah, This is my vulnerable. problem. I don't it's know where really to draw It's really hard because sometimes yeah. I, I, I don't think I've, I've always made the wisest decisions and then later I'm like, oh, I mean, I think it's also collectively <laughs> oh, writer's regret. It's also collectively, you know, if I meet someone and then they Google me or go yeah. to my website, I mean, there's just so much information. But on the other hand, I mean, I always say that writing, I think, is really selfish. So I'm doing it first and foremost, I think, to learn about myself and to process things. And then hopefully if other people find them relatable or interesting, like that's great. Um, but I think you can write honestly without compromising someone else's identity or privacy necessarily. I mean, they might read it, but I feel like, you know, they're also entitled to tell their own story if they wanted to. Someone asked me yesterday, I wrote a piece for the Frisky called Sex with a Top Chef about this one night stand. You had sex with a top chef? I did not. Well, I I got naked with a top chef in (laughs) Los Angeles. And, and, you know, it's interesting because... 
this woman was asking me, um, you know, about writing the piece and some of the comments about it. And then, she, then after it was officially over, she's like, so tell me who it was, um, which I'm not going to reveal on the air <sighs> here. But, um, but, but, over but the reason I wrote about it in that way was that part of the thing that we had was that I was impressed that he was a top chef, which right. is why I like would go out with a total stranger. Whereas, so if he was oh. just Joe Schmo on the street, like I probably wouldn't be like, here's my phone number. Okay. I just want to, I want to go back for a second. <laughs> okay. Here's the headline. I got naked with a top chef. That's it. It was called sex with a top chef. Yeah. That was the headline. <laughs> and yeah. Okay. Yeah, I want to know yeah, more. I, I oh, more. oh, oh. So I was in LA and I had actually taped something, uh, throw down with Bobby Flay. I was a guest judge. And so I, I got out at one o'clock in the afternoon and it was a beautiful day and I was all dressed up and I felt really good. I was like, this is fun and I have nowhere to be. And I met this guy um, at his place of employment and um, we started talking about food. And I was eating some of his food. And, um, you know, he was flirting with me. And I didn't really think he was... I thought this was, like, a joke. I'm like, I'm in L.A. Like, this is so weird. And so, anyway, I wound up going on a date with him. And then he brought his assistant on the date. Oh, I did read this. (laughs) And it was so so weird. I'm like, this is so weird. And he was like, oh, it's her birthday. The weirdest, Uh weirdest part is that we all wound up back at my hotel room. And now, you would think maybe he's, like, trying to have a threesome. But really, he was like, no, assistant, you sit in the corner and, like read a book while we fool around. That was the weirdest part. And he was like, do you want me to send... I was like, I feel really weird. He's like, do you want me to send her down to the bar? I'm like, no, I felt bad for her and it was just not sexy. It was so weird. I still don't understand it. And they had this weird... I don't think they were actually having sex, but they they had this weird... I mean, who would who would allow that? Like, why would she be like, sure, I'll just wait for you to you finish know, fooling around? This is, sounds so Los Angeles. This is it not, was so weird. This is weird. not the New York way of doing and things. And then at 7.30 in the morning, he texted me and he was like, do you like threesomes? He, I, he wound up leaving. And then I was like, this is so, I was like, I don't know what's going on, but my life is too uh, weird. Let me ask both, both of you guys. How many creeps do you get at your events? How many creeps are chasing you on Facebook? How many people are stalking you on the internet? I just I just started to learn what this is like because I've done one reading and then I've done a lot of media and my Facebook is like a crypt of death. Like I don't even want to go near it. Like it's terrible. It's a disaster. And then the thing about readings is you can't stop anything anyone from coming. So yeah. you have like dudes coming. take well, <laughs> yeah. You have I mean I had like a guy that I slept with and didn't want to see, but wanted to see me and asked me out, come to my last event. And like two random New York post readers who look from like Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. <laughs> and, um, I, the last month for me, it's like, I get a lot of attention, but none of it is the attention I want right. from the people I want it from, but you don't get to choose. It's going to change today with this appearance of the Mike and Judy show. <laughs> yeah, see, that's life. You don't get to choose the attention. We have a it. very good looking, intelligent, affluent audience. I'm sure of it. And Rachel, what about you? I mean, your gigs, you do these erotic readings I, and they're always packed there, um, and you give away cupcakes. There was another one person, an <laughs> ongoing guy we called creepy guy because he would come to the end of my readings and then just hang out like he wouldn't partake of the reading he wouldn't he would just hang out and then sort of skulk around like there's that's the only way to describe it and it it was really weird because he wouldn't even really try to talk to me but then I ran into him twice in Union Square like once at Barnes and Noble and actually twice at Whole Foods and that was weird and then once I got off the subway and he was just sitting at the stop where I live and I, and he was sitting on the bench and then he didn't get on the train and I was like okay that's weird um, that's probably the closest and then I had one guy whose phone number I had 
I give him my phone number because I was doing a story not related to sex. And then, like, he started calling me, like, incessantly. And I, I, I had to be like, don't call me. I'm going to call well, the police. I got to say, I think you guys are extremely brave and courageous for what you do. I really have, like, so much respect for it, for putting it out there, for laying it out, letting the cards uh, fall where they may. Uh, we were going to talk about, just for a second, about Melissa Petro, the school teacher, um, who basically got shit-canned because she had been blogging about her former career uh, as a call girl. And, you know, I mean, just to put it out there and potentially burn bridges, to be honest, personally, you know how I feel about this. What you do on your own goddamn time is your own goddamn business. And as long as it's not affecting your job... You know, uh, Judy, when we used to work at High Times... I feel the same way. People would drug test you. Pot tests are very unreliable yeah. because they test you for what you did four days ago. Or a month ago. You were a month ago. It's not... And I didn't even smoke pot and I still get the stigma, damn it. <laughs> yeah, the high times thing is an albatross. But the thing is, what you do in your own time is your own business. And uh, you know, certainly we're adults and we should be able to handle a wide range of adult activities and topics in our writing and our regular lives. It shouldn't have to breathe into our square day jobs, which unfortunately we still have to have once in a while. I mean, I agree, but I also think the reality of modern life is that you know not everyone is going to agree with that yeah. no, the world is filled with squares and the problem with reform people is they always want to rain on my motherfucking parade and the problem with the internet is that the squares can google you yeah. so it's like way worse than it used to ever be everybody's got a google machine so what have we learned from this experience are we taking any hard lessons out the of internet this book? should be shut down oh <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty tough stance there miss mcclare wow. i think it's like rock and roll here to stay <laughs> so, well, thank you so much, you guys, for coming in. It was a great, you know, it was great to you. talk but to you. But for those people who do want to stalk you, Rachel, where can they find you? Uh, RachelKramerBustle.com and at Rakelita on Twitter. All right. Any upcoming events you want to plug? Anything I am having a book party August 25th at Fontana's for Obsessed, and there's going to be book cover cupcakes. Oh, I'm wow. very excited cupcakes. about that. So all you stalkers out there, come to uh, the Obsessed book cover cupcake party at Fontana's on the 25th and find Rachel on the internet. And Sheila? Where are you going to be? Where can we come? We'll I'm going to be at McNally Jackson this Tuesday doing nice. a reading. So I invite you all to come and rub yourself all over the books or <laughs> whatever it is that you people do while I'm reading. Okay. Well, you guys are awesome. Very brave and courageous. And your books are fantastic. Judy, thank you. you I'm feeling good. Feeling sexy? Not really. <laughs> all right. Once again, this is Mike Edison with Judy McGuire, the Mike and Judy Show. Uh, thanks to Carlos, our guest engineer today, and to Rachel and Sheila. We'll see you guys next week.